0: I know if you're looking at the title this morning, I know some of you are thinking, oh, Robert, you skipped verses 13 and 14. And in verses 13 and 14, we read this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So you're correct. I did leave it out. John Taylor talked about that back in late August when he was here sharing with us. The idea that there are two gates, uh, one, is, one is narrow and one is wide, and those gates connect to two roads. One road is greatly traveled, it's broad, it seems easy to walk, and, and people enjoy it. And there's another way, and that way is a little bit narrow. That journey is a, a little harder, and, and that gate leads to life. I think we need to remember that no person drifts into salvation. Salvation is a choice that all of us have to make. A decision that we all have to come to. to, And contrary to popular opinion, one is not just born a Christian. I know we like to divide our nations up that way. This is a Christian nation. This is another nation. We're not just born a Christian. Each of us must make a choice. We must make a decision to which gate we're going to walk through. Do we walk through the narrow gate that leads to life that's a little bit harder, or do we walk through the wide gate? Let's just open in prayer. Father, we thank You this morning for the opportunity to be here, to gather together as a family and to worship, to think of this Advent season to, to think of all that Christmas means and what it looks forward to. Father, we thank You for this past week. We even thank You for the challenges. But as we gather this morning, may we lay aside the worries and concerns of life to look into Your Word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember Monday, November twentieth, nineteen 1978, like it was yesterday i had just it was about five to ten i had just poured myself a bowl of rice krispies and i went into the living room and i sat down and i turned on the tv the national was about to come on and it was nolton nash's first sunday doing anchoring the news And the lead story on that Monday evening was the Jonestown Massacre. 918 people found dead in the jungle of Guyana. 903 of them were poisoned by a drink. And a third of them were miners, all members of the people's temple. More were found murdered a short distance away from the compound, at an airstrip, you may remember it. If you know the phrase, don't drink the Kool-Aid, that's where it came from. A pseudo-Christian church, originally formed in Indianapolis and then later relocated to the Red Va- Redwood Valleys of California and eventually to San Francisco. The roots of the temple were in Christianity a revivalist roots mixed with socialism. Over time, the church drifted. They abandoned any thought of Christian orthodoxy. Pride began to take over. The leader, Reverend Jim Jones, as he, 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 as he took over control of the church for himself, he replaced himself as the authority rather than the Word of God. And he solidified his grip on power, and the church grew to about 5,000, and they began to open up satellite campuses in various spots of Southern California. It was a, a superficial mix of Christianity, now listen carefully Christianity, social justice, racial and class equality, and desegregation. Some of that sounds very familiar. And it was very appealing in the late 60s and early 70s. Jones grew more powerful. He was very connected with inside political realms. His guests included the mayor of San Francisco, vice presidential candidate Walter Mondale, first lady Rosalind Carter, California Governor Jerry Brown, and city councilman Harvey Milk, to name a few. He demanded more money for any service that he provided beyond his Sunday mornings. He wanted to be paid. He also developed a preoccupation with sex. Uh, Under the belief, these people were under the belief that they were being offered a, a better expression of Christianity. You see, most of those that went to the temple, the majority of the members... Had been raised in a Christian home. And as tragic as those events were. They occurred on November 18th. As tragic as those events were. There were more to follow through the years. We've had the school of the prophets. We've had NXIVM. We've had Heaven's Gate. We've had the children of God. Branch Davidians. If you remember Waco, Texas. All of those followed after the Jones Massacre. If you turn in verses 15 of Matthew 7, Jesus warns His listeners that just as there is a misleading gate in a misleading way, there are misleading teachers and preachers who point to that way. The warning of false teachers should be no surprise because the Old Testament is full of warnings of false teachers and false prophets. Now, just a reminder this morning, when we talk about a prophet, we're talking about someone who is a messenger from God. And as a messenger from God, they would foretell. They proclaim God's message based on the covenant that God made with Israel. And all prophets would foretell, but not all prophets would foretell, meaning telling of future events and here at Forest Baptist we believe that the word of god is now complete and there's no more foretelling we have everything that we need and preachers and teachers proclaim from god's word with us so we foretell but we no longer foretell so god warns of false prophets very early in scripture deuteronomy chapter 13 the first 5 verses of that chapter If a prophet or someone who has dreams arises among you and proclaims a sign or wonder to you, and that sign or wonder he has promised comes about, but says, let's follow other gods, which we have not known, and let's worship them. Do not listen to that prophet's words or to that dreamer. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You must follow the Lord your God and fear Him. You must keep His commands and listen to Him. You must worship Him and remain faithful to Him. That prophet or dreamer must be put to death because he has urged rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the place of slavery to turn you from the way of the Lord your God has commanded you to walk. You must purge the evil from you. God's view of the false prophet is a person that is deserving of capital punishment. He takes it seriously. And, there, and there's another warning. It comes in Isaiah. But this time, the warning is to the people. The people are being reprimanded for seeking out false teachers. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 through 11. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. Who says to the seers, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. See, as long as there has been there has been a market for false teachers, as long as there has been True teaching of the Word of God and true prophets, Satan loves to hold up counterfeits for people to follow. If you're not there with me already, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at starting at verse 15 through 20. Matthew chapter 7. And here is where Jesus begins his warning that there are those amongst us that would seek to deceive us. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous woes. The word "beware" is key there. It's key to understanding the thrust of this whole passage. The word in Greek denotes this: It's the idea to watch out, to pay attention, to devote, to apply oneself, to be on guard. When you're at church, bring your Bible, first of all, but open it. Pay attention. Ask questions. Go home and study. Don't watch Christian television with an open mind, but rather a discerning mind. Yes, there may be some differences in interpretation, but beware of the preaching of false doctrine. And if you're unsure of who you can trust, ask someone that you know you can trust now. I had wondered this morning, should I take some time to call out false teachers? Well, to be honest, I'd be here for a very long time, so I didn't think that was a good value. But I went through the shows on Daystar, through the whole listing. I found maybe six teaching programs that I would be okay with. Not with everything they say, but I'd be okay with. Vision was worse. I could only find maybe three on Vision TV. You need to be on guard when you're watching TV. You need to be on guard when you're listening to podcasts online. You need to be on guard when you're listening to the radio. False teachers abound. And they sell a bill of goods that will get you nowhere. So why, why? Well, obviously, why we need to pay attention is that they're false teachers. And Jesus never shares with us exactly what the false error is or what they're teaching that's wrong. But, but the context that we find these warnings in is that of the Sermon on the Mount. So the false teaching has to do with everything that we have talked to up to this point. That is where the errors are coming from. Uh, The problem is this, though. False teachers do not wear a sign around their neck saying, hey, I'm a false teacher. It'd be nice if they did. But worse than that, they, they often look like the real deal. Look at the verse again. Who come to you in sheep's clothing. Believers should not be naive. Like how D.A. Carson stated it. The truth can be violated. And the gospel enemies often show up as friends who use orthodox language, show biblical piety, and are indistinguishable from true prophets. They're difficult to spot. Not because they show up as sheep, but they're in sheep's clothing. See, the wolf isn't pretending to be a sheep. What does it mean when it says they show up in sheep's clothing? Well, it likely means that they're wearing wool. They're wearing the clothes of a shepherd like a shepherd would wear. So they don't just show up as sheep. On the outside, they look just like any one of us. They look maybe like a teacher, but on the inside, they're ravenous wolves ready to pounce. The message that Jesus Christ implies here is one that they are on the inside of the church already. See, it's simpler to spot the danger on the outside. It's simpler to look at and say, Richard Dawkins okay, he's a false teacher, he doesn't believe in Christianity. It's much harder when we have to look on the inside. And, And time has proven Jesus to be correct in his warning here. False teachers can be found in the pew, they can be found in the pulpit, they can be found in our denominational structures, they can be found in our seminaries. So if Scripture is correct, and teachers are embedded in Christendom, How are believers supposed to spot the wolves? Well, look with me at verses 16 through 18. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. In Israel, there's a plant, and it's, it's a buckthorn bush. And from a distance, the, the little blackberries on this buckthorn bush may be mistaken as grapes. And, and, and the flowers of a thistle may resemble the growing of a fig. However, as you examine them a little closer, and as you come a little closer to the plant, you will soon realize that that's not what's growing there and you will not bother with them. The fruit is much different. The deception can't last forever. I remember the first time uh, I was in Arizona, and I have all, I've all—I've told a little bit of this story before, but I have always been fascinated with the lush green of an orange tree and those bright, shiny oranges on it. There was just something about an orange tree. And I went out a walk one evening with some friends. And with me was a buddy of mine from St. Catharines. We were the only two Canadians. And the fragrance in the air was just beautiful. And as we walked through the streets, you could see just grapefruit trees and orange trees, trees in the backyards and in the side yards and the front yard. And we came to one house, and in the front yard, they had this beautiful orange tree. And it, just, it hung over the chain-link fence that enclosed the front yard. And before we knew it, Steve from St. Catharines reached out, grabbed a fruit, sliced it open, and bit into it, all while one of our southern friends was protesting. And then his protest turned to laughter as Steve began to spit the fruit all over the ground. Who had ever heard that people would grow a bitter orange tree? Why would you grow a bitter orange tree? You have this appearance And you have this expected taste of a sweet orange. And you bite into it and it yields this bitter taste. Obviously, neither Steve or I had heard of it. But I refrained from picking somebody else's oranges. And the Americans that were with us found it rather amusing. Well, how is one supposed to spot a false prophet? What will their fruit be like? How will they look? Well, here are some things to look for. First, a false prophet, there's no straight gate. There's no narrow path. Jesus isn't the only solution to man's problems and salvation. They'll lean towards universalism. Um, We'll all get there in the end, right? And also beware of people who will Look and start teaching and proclaiming about the three great Abrahamic faiths. First, or Peter, chapter two, verse one says this: uh, First Peter, I believe. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. You will secretly bring in who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Some other teachings to be aware of. Oh, well, the Lord's given me a revelation. Scripture is complete. If someone wants to add to it, Run. How about this one? Hell's not real. It's only a myth. Even though the Bible clearly teaches otherwise. Ask yourself the question, is a person teaching me, do they have a high view of Scripture? Is the Bible the authority or are they authority over the Bible? Do they themselves submit to the Word? Do they teach the Trinity? The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. Be aware of that. The, the, the wealth and health doctrines ruin lives. Do they hold to a biblical sexuality? Any promotion of a critical theory is a warning bell. It, it may sound good, but close examination of Scripture shows there's some big problems there. Two, and I think a, a quote from Arthur Pink, who, is, who was an English Bible teacher, is very helpful here. There is nothing in their preaching which searches the conscience and renders the empty professor uneasy. Nothing which humbles and causes their hearers to mourn before God, but rather that which puffs up and makes them pleased with themselves and to rest content in a false assurance. False teachers don't say things that are uncomfortable. There's nothing uncomfortable in their message. There's no demands. Repentance is absence. See, they want to teach things that are comfortable. They want the person to feel at ease when they're there. You know, we're all okay. We're all right. We'll be fine. God is love, which is true, but an overemphasis on the attribute of God's love often comes at the expense of of holiness and it can lead one to believe that God's okay with our sin. Jeremiah 23:16 and 17 says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. They were rejecting the message of Jeremiah. They were looking and saying, we don't need any repentance. They believed all would be fine and God would not bring judgment on them. Well, they soon found out that God would bring judgment on them. And the Babylonians came and the land of Judah fell under God's judgment. Third, ask yourself the question, are people being fed? Now, the, the teacher might not be the most polished, but are people growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Is the, teacher, is the teaching solid? Or is the person there just for entertainment purposes? They want to get a laugh from everybody. Hebrews 5.11, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. These Christians had not grown. They didn't have a teacher that was teaching and moving them from the milk to the solid food. Fourth, the fruit of their spiritual life. For a time, a person might be able to live in the flesh the kingdom principles that we talked about, the kingdom standards. But over time, they will reveal themselves. A close look will eventually reveal some serious shortcomings. In Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and these like and things like this I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness faithfulness gentleness self-control Against such things there is no law. Martin Lloyd-Jones had a great comment on this in his study, the second volume on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said this, A Christian can generally be known by his very appearance. The man who really believes in the holiness of God and who knows his own sinfulness and the blackness of his own heart, the man who believes in the judgment of God And the possibility of hell and torment. The man who really believes that he himself is so vile and helpless. That nothing but the coming of the son of God from heaven to earth. And is going to the bitter shame and agony and cruelty of the cross. Could ever save him. And reconcile him to God. This man is going to show all that in his personality. He is a man who is bound to give the impression of meekness. He is bound to be humble. Our Lord reminds us here that if a man is not humble, we are to be very wary of him. He can put on a kind of sheep's clothing, but that's not true humility. That is not true meekness. And if a man's doctrine is wrong, he will generally show himself at this point. He will be affable and pleasant. He will appeal to the natural man and to the things that are physical and carnal. But he will not give the impression of being a man who has seen himself as a hell-bound sinner, and who has been saved by the grace of God alone. Some tendencies now. When we look at someone, we discover someone who's a false teacher. What are some tendencies in their life and in their actions? Well, they tend to be authoritarian. It can show up as legalism, but it's a means of control of everything around them. They don't like to be challenged. They distort Scripture. It sounds plausible. sounds very plausible, but when you search it out, Scripture doesn't bear out the conclusion. They tend towards arrogancy pride shows itself in many forms it could be their charisma on stage it, it could be showed up show up in their knowledge and trying to puff themselves up it could also show up in their talents and liking to be the center of attention can show up in a preoccupation with money uh, not the normal need of providing for a family but a flashy show for money that concept of well god provides the best for his servants and we've seen this on on Christian television, people speaking of the need of having a, a jet to fly them across the country or, or the reason why they have a $200,000 car in the church parking lot. Boundaries. When it comes to boundaries regarding sensuality and sexuality, the lines become very blurred. Uh, there's a lean towards permissiveness. They tend to, tend to be divisive. A divide and conquer attitude. A my way or the highway for everything that comes along. But that leads us to an important question, though. Can you and I as believers be taken in by these false prophets? The answer is yes. I remember a professor, we called him the cult professor. He was the librarian, but he taught cults at the seminary. And he once stated this. False teachers and cults like to prey on Christians. Christians who only know a little. They are vulnerable and easily taken advantage of. Uh, Dr. Ryan Putman from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary made the same observation in a paper that he wrote earlier this year, Eight Ways to Spot a False Teacher. Paul addresses the need for us to be grounded in our faith to be grounded in the word he does this several times i think of second timothy two fifteen: do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly dividing rightly handling the word of truth and james reminds us of this not only to be hearers but to be doers of the word to put it into practice i believe this is a nod towards us having to be careful not to become puffed up and prideful in our knowledge. See, when we try to do what we know, there's a humility that we have to rely on the Lord Jesus. And that's humbling. Because we can't do it on our own. We can only succeed when we come to Christ. James chapter 1, verses 22-25 through 25. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves... For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer but who, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So when you come to the Word, you look at it, and you just don't walk away and go, oh, I'm fine. You come to it, and then you put into practice. You do what Scripture asks us to do. Another category for false teachers, and this one's a little harder. It's a little harder on the church, and and it's sometimes devastating to churches. It's devastating in that there are false teachers with good doctrine but bad ethics. I'll name the churches and not name the people. But I, I think of what happened at Willow Creek. And it was at the founding pastor at Willow Creek. I think of the big, big thing to do with Hillsong and the impact it was having in New York City and then what happened to their founding pastor. I, I think of Harvest Bible Chapel in Rolling Meadows, Chicago. Another founding pastor. Mars Hill and its founding pastor. In each case there was evident fruit that was not good but in each case it was ignored perhaps out of fear of being bullied maybe a lack of knowledge maybe a disbelief that this was happening to them maybe it was the sheer charisma coming from the pulpit maybe they were the reasons people were willing to ignore it if you have never ever listened to the rise and falls fall of mars hill the podcast You need to go home and you need to Google it. It can be tough listening, but I think it's good listening to help us understand how a pastor could come into a church and begin to twist things and how the church could so much suffer such damage from one person. Look back to Matthew chapter 7 with me, verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 7, verses 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Note the implication there. Bearing no fruit is considered the same as bearing bad fruit. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, It's not merely the wicked, the bearer of poison berries that will be cut down, but the neutral man who bears no fruit of positive virtue must also be cast into the fire. Matthew 7:19 and 20 calls for us to do some self-examination. You and I are meant to look at these verses and ask ourselves a few questions. Did, did I enter through the narrow gate? I, am I on the right road? The one that might be a little harder there are questions we can ask ourselves this morning. As I stated earlier, no one drifts into Christianity. There must be a decision in a point in time where we realize our spiritual bankruptcy before God. Where we come to that narrow gate. And in coming to that narrow gate, that means that we've come to the cross. We've looked at ourselves and we say, what do I have to offer? And we realize we have no merit to offer. We realize all the good deeds, all the things that we might count as good are nothing but filthy rags. And that we stand in need. If you've come to the cross and you've realized that, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you've repented from your sin and you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and that His death, burial, and resurrection sets you free and has paid your debt. It comes from John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. If that decision has been made, then the fruit in your life should bear that out. That means when you examine yourself, there There's fruit. And if there's bad fruit or no fruit when you examine yourself, then you're in danger. See, not only can these verses help us discern a false prophet, they can help us discern our own lives and evaluate our own lives, either convicting us and bringing us to the point where we realize we're on the wrong road, we went through the wrong gate, and we need Christ as our personal Savior. Or assure us that we're on the narrow road and that we're growing in Christ and give us assurance of our salvation. So default teachers still exist today. Yes. That's why it's so important that you and I study the Word of God to know what is true. And if you're not grounded in the Word, you have a target on your back because you're an easy prey. Satan would like no more than to get his claws into you and to trip you up and to make you ineffective in your life. I look around some days and I wonder. I look around at those I went to school with and those that I've went to church with in the past, and I see that they've been led astray, and I don't understand how or why. It seems every year there's another denomination or there's another association of churches that slide towards progressivism. They become progressive in their thinking and progressive in their church life. They move away from Christ. Perhaps they tire from swimming upstream in this culture. Perhaps they're afraid of persecution. Or it sounds more loving just to speak of God's love. You know, love is love. But when we overemphasize love, we underemphasize His holiness, His purity, and His righteousness. There's this thought from some that the God of the Old Testament is not the God of the New Testament, that somehow the God of the Old Testament has matured and grown with mankind. I'm here to tell you this morning, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. So please, bring your Bibles to church. Open them up. Open them up during the week. Make sure that the food you get outside the church is good. Don't allow yourself to be fooled because the world is full of people that would like to fool you. Let's pray. Father, we live in a culture that has slid so far from Christianity. And Father, there's a danger of, run, of losing our balance and our understanding of Scripture. And You are a God of love, but You're also a God of holiness. Father, help us in our lives to evaluate where we are. Father, for us to be doers of the word, that as we look into the word and we see what should be part of our lives, that you will give us the strength to do. Father, we, we thank you this morning again for this opportunity to be and to sit under your word and to learn. Father, we pray that you'll rise up in our churches, men who would preach the word of God, men who would stay true. And Father, we pray for wisdom that we'll be able to see through those who would be false teachers, who would lead us to the broad path and the easy way. Father, we also ask for strength. Strength in the coming days and weeks that as we navigate this life and this culture, that You'll give us both wisdom and strength to stand strong in our faith and to witness of Your love and Your desire to be a part of every man, woman, and child's life. We thank You. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.